Dear friends and neighbors, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, and encourage community. It's been my privilege to bring you this program free of charge over the past 17 years. Humanity is on the cusp of a major turning point. Which way we go depends on the actions of a small group of people in bringing about a planetary awakening to avert the numerous challenges we face as a species. If you're listening to this message, I trust it's because you find my interviews to be a valuable catalyst for improving your own mental, physical, and political health. This podcast will always remain available at no cost to you. However, I'd like to offer my most loyal listeners additional options for enjoying my interviews, both as videos and transcripts. Subscribers will also become members in a tribe of engaged citizens. In this week's interview, my daughter Evacheska and I talk about our work with psychedelic medicines. I believe these medicines have tremendous potential for healing, enhancing our empathy for one another, and creativity if we use them wisely and responsibly. For too long, the emphasis in our public policy has been on the drug, not on the context or the diverse beneficial uses, spiritual, medicinal, and creative. I have witnessed, interviewed, and written about countless people who have healed from traumas, anxiety, and depression because of their psychedelic experiences, and I wish to bring you their stories on a weekly basis so that we can overturn the decades of government suppression of these medicines. Please consider supporting the program in one of two ways. First, become a monthly subscriber or annual member so that I can bring you more of this content. Second, if you have a healing story to share with the world, send us an email to producer at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. That's producer at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org and introduce yourself to us. Lastly, I invite you to please share this communication with your friends and colleagues and encourage them to join a growing tribe. Founding members will also be invited to a private discussion group on integrating psychedelic experiences for their greatest benefit. Please join me on this exciting and important journey. Our guest today is Evacheska DeAngelis, an integrative counselor and founder of Temple Soda Luce, based in Manhattan. Welcome, Evacheska. Totally. I'm really excited to be here, Dad. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, really, it's really cool for me because obviously there's a lot of inspiration in my path that I've taken from you. And also there are some really cool differentiators that we can share and we can discuss and um, share with 
listeners too, not just with each other, which is exciting. Yeah. So thanks for having me. I'm really fascinated by your uh, by your deep interest in ayahuasca, in part because I've taken ayahuasca, uh, and um, none of this happened to me. So I, I, it's it's sort of out of my experiential understanding. Um, it was a um, it was more like a wild ride uh, at a at a carnival that went on for a very lengthy period of time with you know tremendous uh, visual images of different pictures going on and well, some thoughts but mostly pictures that i watched and um a very different than say my lsd experiences where i felt like i really learned something or i learned something again or something was shown to me or something was made clear to me, or some aspect, let's say, fear showed up in, in my LSD experience, and I got to look at the fear and make friends with the fear and conquer the fear. So I had, if you said to me afterwards, you know, what did you learn? Then I could point to something, or I could say even vividly right now as we're talking, I felt this deep connection with all things living on the planet. I saw all humans on the planet connected through an electrochemical uh, system that looked like a, a hairnet to me, with uh, uh, flying through the air. Or one time I saw a Mobius strip of souls flying through the universe, and I got the feeling that maybe there is something after we die. Those were very specific. But I didn't have those things with ayahuasca. Instead, what I had were these, I can hardly even visualize them, just these fantastic kaleidoscope of, of uh, moving pictures, moving very rapidly, extremely rapidly. In fact, they moved so rapidly that I couldn't even grab onto one in order to slow it down and have a deeper look at it. Yeah. The, does the any of that make sense to you? It, it does. The Shipibo people with whom I study um, say that uh, it's like developing a relationship with a person and, and learning how to, um, it doesn't translate directly into English, but it, it to dominate the medicine, which essentially means lean in to the medicine and learn how to have a conversation with it to ask those questions. Um, and, and so I would be interested, um, you know, if we were, closer to when you sat to, to do an integration session and kind of like lean into the images and start to ask the questions around why, why were you shown that? What could it have been representative of? What were you being shown? I, I too, in my own work with LSD, I have seen, you and I have seen a lot of similar things with our, our work with LSD, as you know, um, including having very similar trips that we didn't know that we both shared the outcomes of. But what I, I didn't, get out of LSD that I have gotten out of ayahuasca is the really deep shadow work. Um, the really, really deep shadow work, digging into those pieces of myself that I was unwilling or unable previously to shine a light on and integrate those aspects of myself into my whole self to really uh, embark upon this endeavor to be a fully embodied human 
and integrate pieces of uh, my inner child that had felt previously abandoned or neglected or parts of myself that I had been through my corporate career incredibly hard on myself on and be able to support those pieces of self and bring her home essentially. Um, and, you know, connect with the energies of oneness and, you know, all of these other beautiful things that many of us experience with entheogenics or psychedelic medicine as well. Do you think there are people who can function in the world under the influence of a strong dose of ayahuasca? Um, I'm not and sure. I'm what you mean, tell, like, I'll tell you. Like, I'll yeah. tell you why I asked that question. Okay. I just read an article about a professional baseball player mm. who took a large dose of LSD, and then he got a phone call or something happened where the pitcher for the day couldn't make it, and he got called to pitch. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and so he went and he pitched with a under the influence of a very strong... Now, when I've taken a very strong dose of LSD, I'm flat on my back for the first four hours. I'm not moving. Yeah. I'm not trying to stand up. And when I took a strong dose of ayahuasca, there was no way in the world I was going to stand up. I, could, I couldn't stand up to go to the bathroom. I crawled nice. on my hands and knees. So this guy went and pitched a game, and he pitched a perfect game. Wow. Yes, wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's what's behind my question yeah. of whether, do you know, when you're down there in Peru, I mean, do the shaman, uh, are some of them able to actually function under the influence? I mean, okay. I have had ceremonies where I can function just fine, uh, where really I've in ceremony, I've been like, man, if I, if I really had to, I could drive a car right now. I would never do that obviously, but I, I I've thought but that you, to myself. You, you could, you, you could walk around the room. Oh yeah. I've walked myself to the bathroom many times during ceremony, et cetera. And then I've had other ceremonies where I needed to be, to be supported in getting to my room after ceremony because I, I was that weak. And, and I think, I think, you know, ayahuasca is intended to be done very ceremonially to protect the sanctity of the traditions and, and how it is best uh, conducted. And so I don't think that we should ever really get the answer to that. Like, could somebody pitch a game after taking it? But, you know, I, I think it, every, every experience with that medicine is, is very different. And I find the same thing with psilocybin. Every experience with psilocybin is very different. I, with LSD, I personally have experienced the ability to turn it off in the middle of a very big trip. Um, but I you don't have. recommend that to people. Yeah, I have, but I don't, and when, I, it feels unsafe to recommend that to anybody. What? When you were walking around under the influence of ayahuasca, did the room look different? Did people's faces look different? Did your hands uh, look different when you looked it, down it, at your own hand? No, it depends on it depends on the the night. Uh, you know, I've had I've seen the the grid, if you will, the energetic grid that a lot of people see in ceremony. I, I've seen it laid over um, the room. I've never looked at myself in the mirror. You know, that's something we say we recommend in, in this space that you just don't do, um, you know, under the influence of these medicines. And so I Oh, I really? I recommend just the opposite, that you oh, always yeah. look in the mirror. Yeah. Really? I, I, uh, I, I, wonder, I wonder why the, rec the recommendation you're getting is not to look. Yeah. I, I mean, most of the, the training I've received around it is, um, you know, you can really get kind of get lost there. Um, what, what does that mean? 
like it can take you out of the container. If you go to the bathroom and you look in the mirror, then you're not in the space that's being held for you and the support of, of the room and the group. And you can kind of just, you know, time doesn't really exist when you're on these medicines. So it can right. be, I think it's, it's a matter of safety, um, especially like as a guest or a pasajero that you want to keep somebody within the confines of the container. Well, but you could sit in the group and that you could sit around in the circle and, and have a mirror. Sure. But it's uh, these, you know, traditionally these ceremonies are done in the dark. Um, so you wouldn't be oh. able to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I, I find it, I, I have not had an experience where I've looked down at my hands and not seen my hands. Um, I've looked down at my hands and seen the blood traveling through my veins. I have, I have and, had that experience as and, well, and, but my hands are still and, there. <laughs> Yeah, my hand's still there. I've looked in the mirror and seen what looked like how my face has looked for hundreds and hundreds of years, if not longer. Mm-hmm. It took me back in time with different faces. Yeah. And I thought I thought that was a lot of fun. Oh yeah. And I, I think um in certain contexts, yes. I would say for an inexperienced person or somebody without a guide, um, Oh, or, well, nobody you know, should be doing be, these things right. without a guide. Yeah, right. so I just want to, you know, make sure that we're putting those uh, those guidelines out there. So, Dad, yes. I'm curious. I would like to hear more about uh, your experience with ayahuasca. You mentioned that it was just kind of all over the place. And I'm curious about if you were to speculate as to what you were being shown or what you were seeing, what it might be. You know, as I said, the pictures moved by so quickly that I couldn't even remember them after the experience. It was it was like watching a television show in super fast forward. I couldn't grab onto anything. And it was just pretty much that unless I saw sometimes a light show. And so I would see a light show of various colors, or I might generate my favorite color, which is orange, and you know, sort of the, the color of the sun, and I would fill my consciousness up with that. But that's about as much as I can report. And, and that was true for all three of the different times. In fact, after the third time, when I had the same exact thing for three times in a row, I said, well, you know, this is not, this is not the medicine for me hmm. because I'm not, I, I, within the, I don't know, the last four or five years, maybe a little longer. Uh, if you had to speculate, or I'm asking you to speculate, please speculate is actually what I'm saying. <laughs> okay, I will. Uh, yeah. Um, so please speculate just as a fun exercise as to if you were to ascribe any kind of meaning or takeaway from those super fast reels of images, what it might be. What, what the images might be or what the meaning is being said to me? The meaning, meaning. Well, the meaning I got from it is this is not the medicine for you. Hmm. This is not this is this is not going to be helpful to you because it's just presenting you with a visual experience that you're not getting anything out of 
other than a lot of uh, regurgitation, which I found very unpleasant. May I ask you, do you recall what your intention was for any of those sessions? Well, my intention in terms of the way you're describing it was uh, uh, was perhaps too broad, but my my intention was to uh, to expand my consciousness and learn more about myself. Yeah, and just you know whatever came that I could possibly learn about. Mm-hmm. It sounds like perhaps you were you expanded your consciousness so much you were just given so much information at a, a rate that your entire being is not used to processing. Um, I would be curious if you were to engage with that medicine again and go in with, uh, either a, a more, uh, finely tuned intention or even with the understanding of, of saying, Hey, like while you're in it, okay, let me see if I can dominate this situation a little bit more and ask some questions. One of the things that I, I have learned and actually apply to other areas of my life now, which is kind of a fun exercise is when I'm in a moment of not understanding um, what's what I'm being shown or what I'm seeing, or, um, you know, everything is moving quickly or I'm really uncomfortable. That's another area is saying, okay, what is the medicine in this for me? And that often gives me answers and I've say it started, again. What is the, what is what, the medicine what? in this for me? And I've actually started doing that in my life. Like when I have a rough day or something happens, you know, I, I take a minute and I say, all right, what is the medicine in this for me? And that application. What is the medicine in this? For me. For me. Yes. As in, what should I be learning here? What should I be taking away? What am I supposed to be seeing that I may not be seeing? Um, but I asked that question both in ceremony and also I've started asking it in my life. You know, if I have a rough moment with a friend, a tough moment of communication, taking a minute and saying, what is the medicine in this for me has, has proven to be incredibly beneficial. Um, and that's a, you know, something I took out of ceremony space. The other thing that I found uh, unpleasant about a two, one or two of the ayahuasca experiences was the uh, the combination of regurgitation and elimination? I had you know a dramatic reg- uh, defecation and uh, almost like you know pulling a lever and out came an enormous amount of material, uh, which is okay, but you know in the middle of a of a of a medicine journey, uh, you know it was a little inconvenient particularly making my way to the bathroom, which was very inconvenient. It was difficult. But the regurgitation, I tend to shy away from things. That's why I stopped years ago when I took peyote. I didn't care for peyote either because it caused me to regurgitate. And I don't believe all the stuff about the reasons for the regurgitation have to do with psychological purging. I think the reasons for the regurgitation are when your system finds something p- toxic, it throws it up because it wants it out of there as soon as possible. I'm so, so glad we're having all, this conversation. <laughs> because it, it also told me that my system found the, the material toxic. Yeah. That's, well, why you know, th- that's why it threw it out. As, as, you, as we have discussed before, um, you know, there are two 
really clear schools of thought here. There's the school of thought that that you hold, which is that it's it's poison and it's your body saying, don't don't put this in me. And there's the school of thought that I hold, um, which is what you know these indigenous cultures hold, which is that this elimination is getting well. They call it getting well. And there are many different forms of purging outside of vomiting or defecation or urination. There's yawning, there's crying, there's laughing. Um, as we know, um, you know, when an animal gets attacked in the wild and suffers trauma and survives, the first thing they do is they shake to shake out the trauma from their nervous system. And so a release, whether it's a cry or a vomit um, or any kind of a purge is often our body releasing stored energy. And the medicine is helping us do that. I know for the first I think my first five ceremonies, um, I didn't vomit at all. I didn't purge at all, but I cried in a way that I've never cried in my entire life um, and really released a lot. I was doing some very, very deep, deep inner child work at that point in time. Um, and so that release from your bowels or from your stomach or from your eyes or the shaking in the body or the sweating is, is all. Uh, a form of letting that out of your system. And, and you know very well that we do store pain, emotional pain, trauma um, in our bodies, um, right? Yes. So, you yeah. know, I, fi I find this concept of shaking very interesting. Mm -hmm. Remember years ago, uh, Janoff down in LA uh, developed a therapy of uh, screaming and yelling and, and carrying on. And George Bach developed a fighting therapy where people would hit each other with soft sponge bats and mm -hmm. yell and scream, all ways of releasing, of releasing. And right. this, this, this shaking as a way of, of, uh, of unlocking trauma sounds like it has some legs. That's worth, worth practicing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, whether in a, a psychedelic medicine space or not in a psychedelic medicine space, you know, a lot of these practices that we, that I have learned in psychedelic medicine spaces can be applied to everyday life. And so, you know, shaking, getting that out, letting those noises out, those primal noises that maybe would only come out in an ayahuasca ceremony or only in a psilocybin ceremony, because that would be the time you'd feel most comfortable releasing them. It's the body's way of, of getting some of that stored energy out or stuck energy or stagnant energy that's being held and paired with a visualization exercise of, you know, where in my body do I feel like I'm holding my argument with my spouse from last Thursday? Where is it sitting and, and visualizing that moving and shaking it out or letting it out or dancing it out? Um, lots of different forms of release. You know, I realized that because I'm so used to interviewing people, I know I've been asking you a lot of questions yeah. as if I'm interviewing uh, and, and, and exactly yeah. because if this is going to be more of a conversation than a one way totally. interview, it's time for you to start asking me some questions. Totally. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I started with asking you about your experience with ayahuasca. That's right. Um, yeah. So. Hmm. Where do I want to start? Which of your, which of these medicines is your favorite for your own personal work? Um, for consciousness expansion, for creativity, 
for healing, LSD is number one by far. Can you share, share why? I will. But before I do, I'll say for couples work, for communicating with my wife, for opening up my heart, for expanding my empathy, MDMA is by far number one. So, and the two of them are complementary because the MDMA is more of a communications, interpersonal communication medicine where the LSD is an intrapersonal communication medicine. So if I, I want to look... Can you that one more time just for our listeners, just differentiate between interpersonal and intrapersonal, please? Yeah, interpersonal means inter, between two, between one, one or more, more than one person. So the MDMA is interpersonal communication between me and my beautiful wife so that we deepen our communication, we get insight into the nature of our communication, and with the MDMA, we listen with fewer defenses, fewer walls, and more open, more heartful, more empathetic, and more able to listen to the music of the communication as well as the lyrics. This is a very big part of understanding human communication to me, which is listening to the music of the communication. Everybody hears the music of the communication, but most of us respond to the lyrics. So if somebody says, what time is it? We answer by saying it's uh, 12.01 p.m., very rarely, when somebody says, what time is it, do you hear someone say, you sound angry, or what a friendly tone you're using. We respond to the lyrics. Person says, which way is Carnegie Hall? You might point to where it is, but you might not at all comment on the tone that they use. You might not at all comment on the look on their face when they ask you what time it is, because the look on the face is also communicating. You might answer the question of what time it is with the number about the lyrics, but rarely would you answer with regard to a comment on the person's posture as they're talking to you. Rarely would you answer by commenting on what their hands are doing while they're talking to you. And there's a huge difference between a person talking to you and their arms are wide open and a person talking to you and their arms are crossed in front of their chest. There's a huge difference between a person asking you a question with a smile on their face and, a que and I'm doing these, these you know, opposites just to make the point between a smile and making a scowl. But most of all communication between people is about the lyrics. And the same is true when we're watching a program on television. 
we are responding to the face, to the body, to the tone. But what we're listening to are the lyrics. And I think this is a misguided approach to human communication, that we should be talking about what we see and what we feel and what we hear in the tones, in the music, as well as to the lyrics. And then something else, which is a point that Carl Rogers taught me, which is when we listen to the communication of the other person, the, the music and the lyrics, is there congruence? Does the music that comes across with their tone, their facial expression, and their body language match the words? Or do they, are they totally dissonant? My one, you know, one of my favorites about that is a person with a big smile on their face, banging on the table with their right. fist and saying, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. And they're banging their fist at the same time. Or I'm feeling very happy. And they're smashing their fist on the table. Right. Those are purposeful, you know, exaggerations. So I wanted to pause you really quickly and just uh, put a pin in this because I think it's not just important for interpersonal communication, but also intrapersonal communication. When we're having conversations with ourselves, how do we sound? What is our body language? How are we engaging? Um, and I think it's a beautiful note to take away, not just for how we relate to each other, but also inside too. That's where I'm headed next. So mm -hmm. the MDMA is interpersonal communication. The LSD is much more of a head consciousness experience than a physiological heart empathy experience. But the, M M the LSD offers us an avenue for doing exactly what you just said, to listening to our own inner voice. How do we talk to ourselves? What Fritz Perls called the top dog and underdog. Do we have an inner critic? Mm -hmm. And if so, what is the tone used by that inner critic? Does it, does it, and what are the nature of the questions? And, and does that inner critic have a face? And if so, what's the look on the face? Does that inner critic have a posture? What is the posture? Right. But, but always, what is the tone that we use when we speak to ourselves? And it isn't a consistent tone. Sometimes in one mood, we talk to ourselves with one tone, mm -hmm. sometimes another tone. LSD teaches us, or it facilitates, I think it doesn't teach us anything. It facilitates our learning. It helps our observational skills to listen in on how we relate to ourselves, to listen in on how we're treating ourselves. Yes. I have so, two follow-up questions to this, Dad. And I'm not sure which one I want to start with. Hmm. Um, okay. You said that LSD um, is, is of the mind, which uh, supports our consciousness expansion. And you said that MDMA is of the heart. More so, yes. More so. Right. Of course, both lend to both. Yes, right. Is your then... Is your belief then that consciousness is in the head and not in the heart? 
No, my belief that consciousness is total. It's in every cell in the body. The entire being has consciousness. And every little cell in the body is experiencing everything that's going on. So I didn't mean to imply, if I did put it that way, and thank you for the correction, that, that, that it's, quote, in the head. In the head, we have the computer. That's where cognitive processing is. But our consciousness is far away beyond just the computer or beyond what we refer to as the heart. I don't think the heart really has the feeling of empathy any more than the head has consciousness. It's just a way of saying we're being open about what we're listening to, so we refer to it as being heartful. But that's just an idiom in the language because actually right. the seat of... Space. Right, because the yeah. seat of consciousness, as we all know, is really the liver. Otherwise, why would we call it liver? It's the li That's where you live. Yeah. No, that's a joke. <laughs> but... <laughs> um, but I used to kid around with my old friend, Dr. Jim Guinan, about that, about the liver is obviously the seat. But no, no, it's all of us. Yeah. However, the consciousness resides in that part of us that's intact and connected. Because obviously, if you cut off your leg, you don't sure. lose some of your consciousness. You just lose some of your sensitivity. Uh, thank you. A helpful distinction. Uh, another follow-up question regarding MDMA. Uh, one of the things that I struggle with with MDMA is um, amphetamine. How do you feel about it? I'm 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 both I'm very concerned about the amphetamine in MDMA. Um, that's how I feel about it. I'm concerned about it. Yeah. There, and what that means is it's not for everybody. If a person has a heart condition, MDMA is, is a much higher risk medicine. Mm -hmm. And by higher risk, I mean a risk of creating a real heart problem, such as an arrhythmia or a tachycardia. LSD does not do that. We don't have any recorded deaths from LSD. I got that directly from Dave Nichols, who's the foremost uh, LSD researcher on the planet. I'm not implying that we have deaths from, uh, from MDMA, although we have. They seem to come more from heat exhaustion and dehydration. But the amphetamine question is an important question, and it needs to be dealt with. And I'm really looking to, to Rick Doblin and MAPS for a, a much more research as they're processing towards getting it legal in the United States as a medicine, which will then bring on a great deal more research, and we can answer that. Now, at the same time, I have personally interviewed people who have taken MDMA hundreds and possibly thousands of times without deleterious effects. I can name two families that have taken MDMA twice or three times a month for over five years. 
without any deleterious effects. So it's still caveat emptor. Now, if you're if you if you're young, you have a sound heart, certainly taking it three or four times a year, everything we know is safe. Furthermore, we have anecdotal information, and anecdotal information is very important because if you have thousands of people taking a medicine and not one of them has problems, that is science in and of itself. In the case of MDMA, we have millions of people taking MDMA, what adds up to be hundreds of millions of times, and we do not have emergency rooms flooded by people taking MDMA. If everybody knows that when we have our every 20 or 30 year cocaine epidemic, we have people ending up in emergency rooms. Everybody knows that we have tens of thousands of people dying from alcohol every year or the consequences of alcohol. Alcohol is a very dangerous drug and it is toxic to the human system. We do not have that with MDMA. And yet, I'm still giving you a very conservative answer, which is if something has amphetamine in it, you have to treat it with the deepest respect and care. Yeah. And, and also, thank you for that. I also think, you know, there's a addictive property to amphetamine. Is that correct? Amphetamines are addictive. We do not have evidence of people becoming addicted to uh, MDMA. Uh, the reason is if you take it repeatedly, the effect wears off. And whereas with heroin and with cocaine and with methamphetamine, if you take it continuously, there's a tolerance that builds up. So you need to take more and more to get the same effect. With MDMA, if you take it continuously, you get no effect. So there's it, it, it's a self-defeating kind of proposition for it to Thank become you. addictive. Thank you for that clarification. That's helpful. Yeah, I, I think it's, I mean, it's uh, as so people who listened to our last conversation know, it's uh, definitely been a beautiful tool in our relationship. Yes. And, uh, it, it's, um, I talked about reverence a little bit in the beginning of the, of our conversation. It's something that I, I really revere the power of, of MDMA really opening up the heart space. And also I'm very grateful for you shedding some light on, um, your thoughts around amphetamines, because I think it's important, especially as we move toward legalization to be able to be aware of this, because I think that's, this is where, um, when people are starting to get prescriptions for these things, I think this is where we start to see some risk. That's right. That's right. And this is why real research is so important and why I am continuously upset about the fact that the United States government continues to make these various medicines illegal, which, is, which, which in and of itself makes it very difficult to do the research, if, 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 if not suppressive. Uh, and uh, it's it's just a horrible situation. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, what are your thoughts on ketamine? Um, 
I have a bias about ketamine because it's inherently anesthesia. And anesthesia and consciousness expansion don't sit too well with each other. One is getting larger and bigger, and the other is going to sleep and feeling less. I think what people are getting out of it is the fact that in relatively small doses, it's a dissociative. And when we dissociate from ourselves, we can witness more easily. So there's a way to get a look. There's also early evidence that it's helpful with depression. I'm not sure how that mechanism works, although I've interviewed Phil Wolfson, who's doing some great work in ketamine, has been a pioneer in ketamine treatment. Uh, and I know the folks at the Sage Institute, uh, Genesee Herzberg, Dr. Herzberg, and Dr. Jason Butler, who have done pioneering work at the Sage Institute on ketamine. Um, my own experiences with ketamine, and I've taken it intranasally, I've taken it intramuscularly, and I've taken it intravenously. Uh, my experience with it is similar to ayahuasca. It was a great ride in the carnival, but so what? I, I, didn't, I, I didn't get anything that I could bring back that I can really uh, speak to. Uh, so I'm not, I'm not really excited about it uh, personally or professionally. Uh, but, you know, if the research turns out to indicate that a percentage of the population benefit, uh, particularly those who are suffering from depression, well, then it's a medicine that we want in our pharmacopoeia to be able to use. I would say right now, the most positive thing I can say about ketamine is that it's legal. So it's a foot in the door for psychedelic treatment. So people can learn about doing psychedelic psychotherapy by using the ketamine uh, as a treatment modality. But it's not actually a psychedelic. It's a dissociative, as no, you said, right? It's a dissociative. Yeah. It's not a psychedelic. That right. is correct. And I think that's really important for people to know because a lot of people are talking about it as a psychedelic, but it's not one. No, it's definitely not one. Right, right. Um, Although okay. there, in large doses, when taken IM or IV, it's a it's a very close cousin to a psychedelic in large doses because yeah. the, it, right. very close, and that's why. But but you know we're talking here about administration that uh, has to be very closely monitored. Yeah. Very yeah, closely you. monitored. Yeah, I, I feel very similarly, um, so thank you. I um, I know we're getting close to time, but I wanna ask a couple more questions. Okay. Um, I would love to have a conversation with you about the difference between a psychedelic and an entheogen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if there's a difference between the two. 
so much as having an entheogistic experience is is uh, having an experience that puts one in touch with what's called spirit or spirituality and that can be part of any psychedelic experience so it's not as if they're separate from one another i think a lot of whether one has an an entheogen experience as part of a psychedelic experience has to do with intention and with the set and and the setting i think when you add the ceremonies that you're adding to the ayahuasca you're leading people more towards an entheogen experience and i think there's in, in certain of the medicines such as mdma create more of a somatic feeling of spirituality that people can grasp on and say i have this feeling of spirit of of closeness to another person which feels like emerging but people have that same experience with large doses of ketamine by the way which is emerging and a loss of boundaries because of the dissociative part of the ketamine so these are all things that we're scratching the surface on and we need to learn a lot more about yeah yeah thank you yeah my my thought is that uh really all of these medicines are helping us remember and that we have a lot more access and a lot more connectivity than we know we do just going about our day-to-day lives and by creating these openings we're remembering our connectivity to each other and to source and to nature and to earth and uh because i think it's inherently baked into each one of us and uh these medicines help us remember that. Oh well I agree with you fully and yeah. I mean this is a topic for another time. Yeah, definitely. I think this is one of the really sad fallouts of the pandemic of the mm-hmm. COVID pandemic. Yeah. In that people have been isolated yeah for for almost 2 years now or a year and a half for 2 years. We're going on the third be- year now actually. And, and and being isolated is really antithetical to the human experience. We're basically tribal animals. We like sitting around in circles together. We like eating together. We like hanging out together whether it's going fishing or going to ball games or going bowling or sewing groups or reading groups or we're shooting groups. We like doing things in groups. We like hanging out together. There's a small percentage of us that are predators that cause a great deal of trouble and they have uh, historically throughout the world but the rest of us are basically tribal animals and when you take tribal animals and you separate them and put them all in their own little caves called apartments or homes for a lengthy period of time you're going to have a great deal of ne- negative fallout which we call mental problems and i think we've got an epidemic of mental problems now across the united states coming out of the isolation and you know it could be that the renaissance in psychedelic medicines is is a timely response 
in some way to the pandemic because the psychedelics bring us closer together, make us feel the connection more, and perhaps will help heal some of the damage that's been done, which is immeasurable. Right. Yeah, really well said. And uh, yes, a much deeper conversation for another time. Um, I have one more question before we wrap up. Okay. Uh, How would you feel about uh, trying ayahuasca again with me? Not to put you on the spot or anything. Well, I don't mind being put on the spot and you can ask me anything. And you know Mm -hmm. that that's our relationship. You can ask anything, anytime. Uh, Don't we have that agreement? We do. Okay. Mm -hmm. So because it's you asking, then it's worthy of consideration. That's cool. my answer. All right, I dig it. Awesome. A- any anybody else asked me? <laughs> I would. I know. I mean this. My, if anybody else asked me, I'd say <clears throat> no, thank you. Well, I'm very honored for your consideration. Thank you, and that is an experience that should you decide to embark upon, I would be very, very honored to do that with you. Um, well, and thank speaking you. of which, I'm honored to be participating more in your show. Um, coming in, coming forward, going forward, I think is what I'm trying to say. And so, uh, yeah, I will be co-hosting with you here and there, um, in the future. And we will be touching upon topics like we touched upon today, interviewing people in the areas of psychedelics and healing psychedelics and spirituality, um, psychedelics and personal paths and, you know, various other topics that we feel will lend to, um, really sharing this mis- mission and this message that you've been working on for so long with Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. And I know that you are coming out with a new book, right? A, a new book is coming out in a few months called Psychedelic Wisdom, yeah. which has 1,500 years of stories of tribal elders' experiences with psychedelics. And it's uh, the book is available on all platforms. I think you can order it now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, various other places. Uh, we also want to talk about uh, something called Substack. Wait, do you before underst- we do that, sorry, before okay. we do that, I want to make mention of a new book that you're going to be working on called Psychedelic Healing. Is that right? Uh, the next book is going to be Psychedelic Healing. Uh, and thank you for bringing that up because I need some help with that book. Uh, Psychedelic Healing is going to be stories of people getting healing uh, from various psychedelic medicines. We're interested in interviewing individuals, couples, and families, whole families. And so if you or someone you know wants to participate in this book, please send us an email at producer at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. That's producer at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. And help me spread the word about for people who have had healing experiences with psychedelics. We want to get some great stories in this book. And Thank I'd you like for to reminding add to that me group. of that. You also said you said individuals, families, couples. I also want to add elders, patients who have participated in clinical trials. We also would love to interview, as well as even indigenous peoples with a connection to um, you know, non-broken lineages or older traditions in, you know, the ayahuasca space, the San Pedro space, psilocybin space, ayahuasca space, any of the more, um, entheogenic medicines, um, from indigenous cultures as well would be great to involve in that book too. 
Stories of Healing with Psychedelics. Yes. Yeah. Again, Wonderful. producer at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Awesome. Okay, now let's talk about Substack, shall we? Yeah, what is Substack? All right, so we are switching the Mind Body Health Politics newsletter to Substack. Um, so if you are a listener and you're already subscribed, um, you're going to continue to receive emails from Mind Body Health and Politics about our news and upcoming broad uh, podcasts. Um, or if you are not subscribed, you can subscribe at mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Um, and you can also consider becoming a paid subscriber there where you'll get additional access to our videos and edited transcripts and more materials as we start to roll them out. And those who do subscribe um, will be considered founding members of our Substack community and therefore receive a copy of your original book, Dad, which is called Psychedelic Medicine. Um, and you'll be invited to participate in exclusive conversations about the future of psychedelic medicine as we create more content. Well, if, how does a person get to Substack? What do you yeah. do? do? You go it's, to Google and type in Substack? Nope. It's just as simple as going to mindbodyhealthpolitics.org and you can subscribe right there. Oh, so if you go to mindbodyhealthpolitics.org, you type that in on Google and go there, you'll be on Substack. You'll, you will be on our page and you'll be able to subscribe right on our page. Yes. Oh, okay. It's not yeah. as if you go to something called Substack and it's, no, it's just a different platform that allows us allows us to aggregate all of our content and all of our information uh -huh. and all of our communication in one place. Mm -hmm. So how was this uh, interview and conversation for you today? It's fun. How about you? I'm having a good time. Yeah, I think uh, there's I mean, I feel like we could talk for a lot longer. <laughs> well, we're going we're going to if you're going to yeah. be participating in the future. I think it's wonderful for you for you to participate. You bring a whole new dimension to the program. And uh, I, I think it's an interesting uh, a counterpoint, you know, having a male and a female and having an old man and a young woman uh, and having a father and a daughter. Totally. I'm really excited to be here, Dad. And, uh, you know, it's, a, it's, really, it's really cool for me because obviously there's a lot of inspiration in my path that I've taken from you. And also there are some really cool differentiators that we can share and we can discuss and um, share with listeners too, not just with each Wonderful. other, which is exciting. Yeah. So thanks to be for continued. Me. Yes. Love I love you, you Evancheska. <laughs> love you too, Dad. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.